We wish to acknowledge the traditional caretakers of the land we record this podcast on, the Yuggera people and their continued connection to the land and waterways of Yuggera country. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Hi, I'm Libby Trickett. This is All That Glitters, a podcast where I sit down with the world's best retired athletes and explore the transition from the bright lights of competition to the real world. On today's show, we have Commonwealth Games gold medalist, Jason Cram. So in goes Jason Cram. A new look Australian team here of Grant Hackett with the new men, Leon Dunn and Jason Cram and the familiar side of Ian Thorpe to anchor us home have maintained our dominance in this event. It's a Commonwealth Games record just inside the time they set in Kuala Lumpur. Thank you so much for making time to come on the show. You actually approached me at the Jewel in the Pool, which we were both attending as alumni, swimming alumni. And for one, I love it when people just like put themselves out there because it's so nerve wracking. Like it can be so daunting to be like, hey, because I did that this year as well. And I'm like, hey. yeah. <laughs> you're like, hey, I think it'd be really good to chat. And I just, for one, I love that. But also you made your first team at the 2002 World Championships. No, Com Games. Commonwealth Games. Yeah, Commonwealth Games. What was yeah. that like? Because, you know, the two th- in 2002, like everybody knows like the Hackett's and the Thorpes and, you know, it was this incredible – time in Australian swimming what was that like being part of that team then you, you kind of nailed on the head it was one of those golden eras that we you know still talk about and you know you can still reference athletes from that time swimmers from that time now and I guess for, for me my whole life had steered towards it that that you know since the pretty much the age of three since I was first in the little paddle pool then from there competing at the age of six and then getting my first ribbon at seven at like, you know, a local meet, it was stepping stones. And that was kind of the pinnacle to the stepping stone to make it as a part of the Australian swim team. It was quite surreal. It's, it's funny, to, to this day, my greatest swimming achievement was actually getting my third place behind Ian Thorpe and Grant Hackett. Wow. Because they were, you know, they dominated that the sport and especially that middle distance freestyle and long distance freestyle for such a period of time um you know i was fortunate that i was a age group champion because thorpe and hacker were in the opens by the time that i was still going through the age group period. so you know <laughs> i was claiming that yes, um while you know claiming world records but yeah to to be on the national team it was something of prestige it's something of it's really hard to describe, but it's almost like something that you've been vying for your whole entire life up until that point. You mm. know, we're talking, we're only in our early 20s here. To finally make it, you're like, wow, I finally get to wear the green and gold. Mm. And that that's something that, you know, it, it's a reward to yourself in a way. When you were, you know, three, learning to swim, six, seven, was the aspiration to swim on the Australian team or was it to go further than that and, you know, win gold at the Olympics? What what were your dreams and aspirations at that stage? I think, you know, it's sort of cemented in, when you got to the age of about 10 that this is what you wanted to do. And I think that's what it ho- happens for most kids. Mm. You know, you start like, you know, you kind of go through the daydream phase. I remember I always wanted to be a professional boat driver. Oh, that cool. was one of the things. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the things I wanted to be and, and work with police as a police boat guy. 
Um, yeah, I'm sure there's more uh, term than water that. rats. <laughs> Were you that's watching it. water rats? <laughs> yeah, that's it. That that was yeah, yeah. That was um, the dream. <laughs> That was the dream. Well, actually, that along with Baywatch, they were the <laughs> yes! two sort of dreams. The combination. Um, <laughs> so good. I, I actually trained with uh, Jonathan Crow and a lot of the surf life saving guys down in Wollongong with Ron McKeon uh, oh, as a part of that squad down in Wollongong. And um, they actually got to go on Baywatch Shut uh, up. when it was here in Australia. No way. Jonathan Crow, from memory, I think he got to kiss Pamela. Like, that, that was the epitome. <laughs> that was like, yeah. Next level. <laughs> Next level next level but funnily enough uh, actually in saying that because i had a choice to go down the surf life saving route or stick with swimming and this was at the age of about 15 mm. and i you know um one of the guys i absolutely look up to especially in surf life saving circles who, who passed away unfortunately was dean mercer mm. so dean and darren mercer were two guys that were close to my heart through all boys i was a winner boy we all trained together Dino's stroke rate for the 50 would be about 60, 65 because he was just a splash and dash guy with so a big good. kicker and I'd be about 40 to 45. <laughs> but he actually, he was the one that steered me on the straight path. He said, Jace, your place is in the pool. Stay within the pool and you'll go further with that. And I'm so glad that I did because the opportunities, the, the things that opened up were absolutely amazing. In 2002, when you, you made the Australian team, you formed part of the Relay what was that yep. like in 2002? Because you, you guys won gold that year. Is that right? Correct. Gold that year with the Commonwealth record. Amazing. Um, how do you, you know how it was like. It is absolutely nerve-wracking. It's nerve-wracking when it's your own performance, but it's even more nerve-wracking when you've got a relay team that Australia has dominated in. Yes. You know, we've been in the top three pretty much gold medalist for so many years in both Commonwealth Games, World Champs and Olympics. It's, it's dominated that. Uh, it's only either us or the Americans and sometimes the Canadians will get in there. It was a lot of pressure. Mm. It was a pressure cooker. I'm not going to lie. Mm. It, it was, you know, there's more daring things that happen in the world, but in your world at that point in time, it was an absolute pressure cooker. And you you didn't really have a textbook how to manage that. Yeah. You just did. You, you didn't really think too much. You just went in and did what you did. I do remember standing behind the blocks, though. So uh, Grant Hackett was the first one in the water for the 200. Uh, Leon Dunn was second. This is in the Oh, final. Leon Dunn. That's a blast from the past. Love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and then it was myself going third. And I remember watching Grant and, and Leon swim. And it was like this really surreal. It was almost like a dream slash I was watching it on TV. I almost needed to like punch myself in the face or slap myself mm. across to actually go, actually, no, you're getting up and swimming next. Wow. It was like, it was almost like disbelief. And I still remember that vividly um, right now. Getting up behind the box, you know what it's like in the real life. Don't go early. Don't go early. <laughs> yes. Don't go early. That's everyone's feeling. <laughs> go, go. Everyone's feeling don't go early. Because, you know, there's like that much between it, yeah. um, between making it or breaking it. And, you know, in the water and then the adrenaline kicked in and then all of a sudden you just go into the zone. And the zone is something that's so hard to describe. Like, you know, I'm teaching uh, swimming now. I'm teaching clients to overcome a fear of water. Mm. And I'm trying to allow them to get to that point of that zone to understand what that is, which is pure zen. It's relaxation. It's, it's nothing, mm. but it's something all at the same time. Mm. And it's really hard to describe. I'm going to come back to what you're doing now because I just think it's 
unbelievable. But I wanted to touch on, because this is something that I've actually really wanted to ask someone who's been in your position. Because we talk about how success breeds success, right? Correct. Which is, you know, absolutely true. However, for a period of time in Australian swimming, there wasn't a lot of opportunities for men in the 200, 400, 800 metres freestyle, 1500 metres freestyle, because of the likes of Grant Hackett and Ian Thorpe. What was that like being the third place getter, the fourth place getter, like finishing behind Grant and Ian and not knowing, like did you know that you wouldn't be able, like these were kind of these greatest of all time swimmers or did you did you feel like you could still mix it? And I'm not saying that you didn't mix it because you absolutely did, but, you know, yeah. there's a difference. Between, I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I don't want to offend I you. <laughs> no, 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 I never get offended. You know what? Because everybody's got their own opinion. I can never change that. And yeah. the reality is of what you're saying is that these were, these were like superheroes. These yeah. were like machines. These were like, you know, next level Muhammad Ali's. Yes. Like, these, these are... Do we want to call them freaks? I don't know. We've people <laughs> I'm going with it. They are freaks, without a doubt. <laughs> you know, like um, a lot of coaches of that time said that I actually had a technically better stroke than Thorpey, and this Amazing. is going to be controversial. Um, Ooh, but you I know, love it. Yeah, no, no. But other people's, in terms of the way that I swam, but he was, you know, I was 190 centimeters. He was 195. I had size 13 shoes. He had size 15 shoes. Mm. He was a bigger, bulkier guy. He was 95 kilos at his, you know, 92 to 95 at his competition weight. I was 82. Mm. He could squat a lot more than me. So, of course, you know what? The reality is in life, there's always going to be somebody a little bit better than you. Always. But you never know. You've got to put yourself into the race because sometimes they might have a good, uh, a bad day. Mm. You know, look at look at Olympic trials in 2004. Uh, 400 meters, Thorpey fell in. Mm. So, you know, that was like, hang on, that doesn't happen. Yeah. So it's, it's almost the Steve Bradbury, right? Yes. You've got to be in it. You've got to be in it. And you play, you do the best that you can do to the best of your ability. And and that's all you can do at the end, right? That That is all you can do. And... You know, I, I, uh, when I left the sport, and I will probably touch on this, but I left the sport thinking that I actually didn't achieve. Well, that's what I was going to ask because I, and I don't want this again to come across badly to the listeners, but often in swimming, not often, pretty much all the time. Most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's always about the individual spot and it's always about yeah. the individual medal, which is interesting now on reflection for me because for me my most important moments were the relays and, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to have those individual moments as well, but the ones that stick with me and still inspire me and motivate me today are the relays. But at that time in your life and at that time in your in your perception, did you feel like you had not achieved? Did you feel like you had let yourself down or let other people down because you hadn't achieved the individual moments? I think the biggest letdown for me was for not making that ultimate goal of being on the Olympic team. Mm. And, you know, I'll I'll say it kind of hurts now to see, you know, especially on like social LinkedIn, that sort of stuff, where uh, a lot of athletes are putting the, um, the initials after their name. And 
Interesting. You know, you can't you can't put C O M after it because it'd be like, what is he like a dot com guy or something? <laughs> like C G Commonwealth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. C G uh, C G S. So you know, I, I guess the Olympics is is the best of the the best, right? Mm. But the best of the best are competing all the time at that one percent, uh, and, and it's only I've only just clicked with it over the past kind of years. By I was in the top one percent of something in the world. Mm. It might even be less than that. It mightn't even be just one percent. But I'm calling it one percent. Mm. You know, a billionaire is in the one percentile of mm. the world. There's a lot of billionaires, but that's that's the reality. Out of seven or eight billion people, I think it changes every day. Mm. I'm in the top one percent of that, and that is truly incredible. Because I, I mean, and it's a like it's a hard sport as well because to make it to the you know the world championships the olympic games the commonwealth games like in swimming like you have to be in the top four or the top two in your country and it's interesting because you see amongst australian tennis players like they're ranked 150th in the world and yet we know their names we know you know that they're playing we sit down and watch them but if you were 150th in the world in swimming <laughs> like you're nowhere like you wouldn't even be at the world championships it's crazy I was right? gonna say do you even rank yeah. I don't know I don't think you do, do you I, go I, to I, that level? Put your number up. I don't know I don't think so I remember when I made the top 10 all time mm. that that was you know that that was for me quite a big feat um it was, it was quickly changed out afterwards but the reality is that most people don't understand and, and most of the general listeners don't understand that we put so much time and effort into this and it all comes down to sometimes that yeah. like the click of a finger that's how much i missed my olympic dream by <sighs> and that and that wasn't you know if i oh, i cramped or um I, I, I seized up or just had a really bad swim no it was just purely that on that day, the, the stars didn't align, if you want to call it that. That's all it is. And that's the difference between a gold medal as well mm. and, and not making it. So, yeah, it was, it was hard. It was tough. And 17, nearly 18 years later, I'm still dealing with that trauma. And that's a tra- that, it, it's going to sound really petty mm. to, to people that have had you know, trauma within their lives, mm. but it was a trauma for me because it was something massive mm. And I just cut ties with it and walked away. Well, that was going to be my next question. So I'm jumping the gun on you. No, no, no. It's no, it's (laughs) brilliant because it it leads directly into where I wanted to go, which is you you spend all of this time working up to this moment and you'd had some success, you'd made some Australian teams, you'd been part of it, you wanted to make that Olympic team in two thousand and four, right? Can you explain what that feels like to people who may may have not experienced that disappointment because I like I completely resonate that moment where you feel like the world is falling away from you and 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 it does sound so like you know with adult yeah, brains like be like yeah. me thirty seven you're forty like you 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 feel silly saying it but it's literally like your world stops in that moment can you explain what your experience of that when you you miss the team. Uh, look, I I was a person growing up that kept my emotions in. Mm. Um, it's only now later in life I've started to explore the emotions because I grew up in a very you know, loving environment, but a very tough environment in terms of training was the routine. That's what you did. 
you know, didn't go out with my mates, didn't party. If I did, I'd be home by 10 to get up for training at 4 a.m. the next morning. It was very disciplined. It was very regimented. Mm. And it's it's one of those things that you don't know any different. Mm. Was that just your I, family environment? Like, is that just how your family worked? Family environment as well, but also within yourself as well, because that's what you did. Mm. You kind of wrapped yourself up in cotton wool because of that one moment. Mm. So when you talk about sacrifice, and I don't want this to sound out of context as, as we're kind of articulated, mm. but this is massive in our world. Mm. This is this is the one thing that we're vied for. We've given up so much mm. to be able to do this one thing. And then all, all of a sudden, it doesn't happen. There was no emotion. It was almost like I just shut the door. Oh, wow. And that was it. Because and, it hurt too much? Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. And you kind of got a, I kind of got a little feeling of it because there's always the next person that's new. So in 2002, I was like the rookie of the year. Mm. Um, the award was called the Male Discovery of the Year, which yes. I'm sure they've changed the wording to it now. Yes. It's a little bit weird at the time. Yeah. But that's what I was. I was kind of the Male Discovery of the Year, and that was the award that I won. Um, but then the next year, well, that was sort of it. You know, you're just another person. Yeah. You go from this high to all of a sudden you're just like, oh, I'm there again. Yeah. And then, you know, gone to World Champs. Um, we did the Jewel in the Pool for the first time in 2003. Yep. That was my first um, team with you. One. Yep. Yep. 100%. Such a good experience. And then, yeah, you line up again. A couple of World Cups here and there. You go in and line up for the Olympic trials. And then, yeah, doesn't go the way you want it. But you know the hardest thing as well after you've shut the door on your main event because you have to then back up and have another crack at the 100 free. Yeah. Uh, Because that was the last event for us. So the 400 free was always first, uh, the 200 free, then the 100 free for the males. And, yeah, that you're just not in the right headspace. But you don't know how to process that Mm. because, you know, I was emotionally sort of shut down. And it's only now I'm starting to actually work through that and kind of let that go and focus on the good things. Mm. Focus on, you know, the relationships like, you know, here we are chatting again after so many years yeah. and it's almost like nothing has changed. Mm. So much has changed. So much. has changed. Exactly. Yeah. It's, I mean, at the end of the day, it is those connections that you made through swimming. And for me, you know, going to the jewel in the pool and seeing so many um, former swimmers, some that I made teams with, some that I hadn't, but some that I, you know, admired for so many years, you do feel that deep kind of kinship and connection with these people who've gone through those experiences and had those highs and had those lows. So after that moment, after that Olympic trials in 2004, what was the process? Like, did you retire immediately after that? Did you just walk away? Did you just hang up the goggles and never, never swam again? No. So I continued training. You know, we were we were under the um, guise of Tracy Menzies, one of the most uh, amazing coaches and one of the most influential people in my life. Mm. Uh, and there's been a lot of them, but she's kind of up there in that top three. She was focused because we had, I think there was about four athletes, Ian Thorpe, Craig Stevens. I think Simon was going to 2004, Simon Cowley, or he mm. did miss out. He's a breaststroker. Mm. And then Kirsten Thompson were all on that 2014. So we were still training with them going along and I stuck in there for another six months. So I was living down at Wollongong as well and traveling up to Sutherland, which is a 45 minutes on a highway, 110. And I knew it was time to kind of really question what I'm doing mm. when I was getting up later and later. So I'd have to get up at 10 to four 
to drive to the pool, to be there on time. I was getting up later and later. It was becoming harder and harder. And I won't incriminate myself, maybe moving faster and faster to get there. And then after about six months, I just, I don't even, I actually, I can't even be honest with you. I can't remember how it happened. I just remember I stopped Mm. going. I know I had the conversation with Tracy. I know I did, but I cannot for the life of me remember Mm. what had happened during that conversation. And, you know, even now I kind of, I'm getting all these weird emotions coming up from it Mm. because it was, it's almost like my heart's crushing again. It's Mm. almost because it was so gut-wrenching that here I am walking away from something that that's all I've known. And like, what do I do now? No idea. I have no idea. So, um, yeah, it's, (laughs) it's, it's, it's crazy when you think about it. Mm. And you know this, I've heard you speak about this before, where we're only in our 20s, but we feel like we're in our 40s like we are now. (laughs) We feel like we've had that life experience of us being in our 40s. And I think that's the biggest, the hardest thing for a lot of people to understand because we have to be so much mature. We have so many expectations on us, but not from other people. A lot of it's from ourselves. I remember saying, you know, later on to somebody, I've I've done some public speaking and I want to get more into that as well. But talking about how I, when I was on the national team, acted like I thought I was supposed to act Mm. versus as to who I am. And they're completely different people. Yeah. They are completely, the way that I am, like I'm a bit of a larrikin. And I was a little bit to some people, but when you were up front and center, you were acting, you know, almost like you're at school. Arms by your side, stand up straight, say the things that you need to say that people want to hear versus what you kind of want to say. And I, I've seen it with some of the athletes, especially, um, you know, when they've done interviews and they, you know, they drop out an F-bomb or an S-bomb or whatever else. I, I, and that's them being real. But yeah. then they quickly, you see them snap straight back into it. Yes, it was a very good swim and I had fun and looking forward to the next one. Yeah. Um, because yeah, we, we you know we have we have such a sense of pride too. I think with that as well. Well, it, it's interesting because we have this um, legacy and this tradition in in Australian swimming, where you know we have achieved so much at the highest level. So you kind of, I mean, I I don't know if you're referencing this particularly, but Kaylee McEwen at the 2021 Tokyo Olympics, where she's like, "Fuck yeah," and I was like, "Yes," like that rocked my world. I just thought that was so. Cool. And probably maybe there was some haters who might have been like, oh, why would you do that, you drongo? Whereas I was like, like, that is real. Like, that is someone who has worked their ass off for this moment in their swimming career and has achieved what they wanted to achieve, especially after everything that Kaylee has been through, which is which is magic. But it's it's interesting because I think there was a really big period of time in swimming where everyone became robots. And everyone really became very bland, very vanilla. It's like, yes, I can only speak about my race and my race only. And it was good. And that is all (laughs) I could give you. And and it was almost auto cue. Mm. Like it was literally, you know, reading from an auto cue. And, but that's what you thought you had to be like. Yeah. And there weren't, especially in that early time. And and I think, you know, one of the, uh, do I like social media? Not necessarily. 
Am I on social media? Yes. yes. You know, am I doing things on there? Yes. Do I spend too much time on there? Yes. Yes. But <laughs> we can all agree. <laughs> the good we can all agree. But the good thing about it is it's actually given people a voice. Mm. Maybe too much of a voice. I think probably when it first, you know, sort of started, um, maybe five or six years into it, it was good because people are still a little bit PC, you know, politically correct. Yeah. But then at the same time, like pushing the boundaries. Now there's no boundaries. Yes. You say what it was, you get the repercussions also with that. And I think it is a good thing in a way. Yeah. It is a good thing because we're becoming a little bit more human. Mm. But at the same time, we're losing that humanity as well by having those conversations. Um, I want to take you back to that moment, you know, six months after trials where you're like, I'm, I've retired. You've had a conversation with Tracy, who I have to say is, you know, one of the pioneers of female coaching in Australia particularly in swimming 100%. because before her I hadn't really heard of anyone. I don't I think she was probably the first female one of the first female coaches on the Australian swimming team which is, you know, an amazing achievement. But you kind of indicated you had this moment of like what do I do now? So what did you do? Where did you go from there? I I was very fortunate in that during my time towards the end of my career I was doing a lot of crazy things, you know. I started sort of a bit of modeling here and there because it's a good way to get some cash on the side. Uh, I got a bung up nose, so that kind of ruined my modeling career. <laughs> the whole story with that, but we don't have time for that. Um, Same. Uh, my, it's my nose, so, that was my issue. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it holds us back. It holds yeah, us back. Yeah. Look, I'm not going to do it. If Owen Wilson could do so well with a bad nose, I'm sure we could. Yeah. Um, so, so um, yeah, look, I... You know, I did promotional modeling um, for a little while. So promotional, you know, working at car shows, talking about Land Rovers, Range Rovers, that sort of stuff, working for Holden, HSV um, to get by. But I actually found my feet with an event management company called Sold Out National Events. And there was another guy on the swim team. You might know him, Stephen Parks. Mm, yeah, Parksy. So, yeah, so it was Parksy's um, stepdad and kind of family run business. Um, that owned that and I went into that so we set up like the Australian Surf Life Saving Championships any, every year the Amazing. look and feel of that the um, Australian the swimming championships would come down and do the look and feel of that all the signage um, so I kind of found my feet with that for a number of years how far do you want to go into the story because then all of a sudden I go on this crazy tangent no please tell <laughs> me I want to know the crazy tangent <laughs> <laughs> all right so then from there you know I had some amazing experiences did some really cool events traveled around Australia um, meeting some amazing people and putting the skills that I learned to swimming into kind of a practical in a different way. Mm. So, you know, the discipline, the being punctual, the on time, mm. the thinking outside the square, mm. the thinking outside of the box, you know, you've got a problem there. You're on the beach. It, it's Karoa Beach for the Australian Surf Life Saving Championships. It's five kilometres of beach. All of a sudden, a massive southerly bus is coming through. And you've got like this giant presentation banner that's mm. five meters by three meters. Now it's a giant sale. What do you do? Mm. Well, you get a paper plate and you get a leatherman and you cut <laughs> little circles <laughs> under it so the wind can go through. Um, that's amazing. So that was one of the things where you started to think really quickly. Mm. I then um, decided, you know what? I want to do something different. And an opportunity was there. My best mate for the time was he was working for Disney Cruise Lines in the Caribbean. So, like, Walt Disney has cruise ships. Well, Mickey Mouse has cruise ships. <laughs> so I went across and worked as a lifeguard on their private island in the Bahamas for a year. 
wow. worked my way up to one of the uh, you know one of the managers um, overseeing stuff there, and then jumped onto the cruise ship. Worked my way up to the assistant tour manager, dealing with people again, dealing with guests, interacting with, and Disney's cruise ships. I know you've got kids; yeah. they're, they're coming out next year. If you ever get the chance to get on one of them, they are truly incredible. Amazing. Uh, Truly incredible. Because I like, think of them as like, like germ boats of germs. <laughs> Maybe still boats of germs, but these ones are very clean. Mostly you know? clean. Okay. Yeah. Disney is the, the one. The, magic, the magical fairies go around every night and clean the ship. Amazing. Uh, so I, I did that and, and I learned a lot about people and I started learning. So as a tour manager, you're dealing with a lot of negative stuff mm. because they're coming to you because they haven't had a good uh, experience. They want their money back. This is cancelled. This is that. The amount of times I heard, you've ruined our cruise. Oh, God. That's terrible. Like, it's heartbreaking. Hang on. <laughs> yeah, I, absolutely gut-wrenching. But you have to stand there and smile and nod and, you know, I apologise, have a magical day. But what it told me, I remember this one day, there was a, there was a dolphin experience where you could swim with the dolphins in Mexico. And uh, one of the mothers had just given birth to a baby calf dolphin. So they had the whole pool to shut the whole place down. And this one gentleman here, it was a grandfather, he came down yelling and screaming, how dare they? This is totally ruined. You know, I ruined our cruise. Our whole family is gutted. And there was this one little girl standing next to him, obviously the granddaughter. She was about five years old. And we all wore like these lanyards with pins, like Disney character pins. And all I hear is this little voice go, I like Stitch. And I'm like, where did that come from? So yeah. I looked over the counter. Here's this little five-year-old girl. Just go, I like Stitch. So the dad, uh, the grandfather's still yelling at me, yelling and screaming. And I'm, I've just turned all of my attention onto this girl. Mm. And I just sold it with as much love as I could mm. to this young little girl. Gave her my pin. I actually gave her a few of my pins because mm. I said, here you go. You can have that. She goes, I'll, I'll give you. I said, no, 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 you can take it. And in that moment, I could see the grandfather's whole face, his whole thought process change. Mm. And then from there, I knew that's how you work with people. You go on the nice side because mm. people can be having a bad day, but you got to learn to go on the nice side of them. So after a few of those sort of experiences, I was just like, you know what? It's time to do a change. Mm. Um, you know, everything's had a, like about a three to four year time frame. Mm. I decided that it's time to kind of up my legs and do something that I've always wanted to do because my thing from swimming when I moved on was I got into scuba diving okay going under the water and I went through you know learning to dive becoming an advanced diver a rescue diver where we start to look after other people and then became a professional mm -hmm. so I went and became a dive master and then became a dive instructor because I thought you know what I want to start teaching again but I remember when I worked on the cruise ship we pulled into one port and there was this amazing mega private yacht it was truly incredible and I was like, I want to work on one of those at one point in my life. So this was the time in that life. It was Planting 2013. The Plant the seed. and Watering it. And um, it was just by chance that in the, the, the car, it sounds really dodgy, in the car park of the dive shop, I not actually dodgy. met a guy that was going, not dodgy at all. <laughs> That's how we're all... <laughs> Business how, choices oh, are made. Yeah. That's how you end up on a billionaire's private yacht. Makes sense. In the car park of a dive shop. Um, so I ended up working on um, uh, James Packer's epic, epic tugboat converted into a private yacht. So I, I joined the yacht um, in 2013 in French Polynesia. Wow. And we were cruising around Bora Bora, met some amazing people, some really cool guests. 
but I became the the water sport, like the the water safety guy, the scuba dive instructor, anything water, I was out there. So I was in my element, mm. absolutely loving it. And then I ended up becoming the guy that worked with kids. Wow. Anytime kids came on the yacht, I would go work with kids because you know what? I could polish the yacht for a few hours or I could just go out and work with kids. Mm. Some would say I'd rather polish the yacht, but I actually love kids. Mm. I love their philosophy on life, which is just very simple. Well, you get to go play. I get to go play. I get to go, <laughs> that go off. Amazing. I get to have experiences. So we did that. Um, we were in French Polynesia for a little year, a little while, came back to New Zealand. Then um, the same yacht got the chance to go down to Antarctica. Wow. So we went cruising down on the Ross Sea side to so off Australia, down to Antarctica for about a month. So were you living like the kind of, because the, the um, kind of reference that I can connect to is below deck. Below deck. <laughs> were you living yeah. the below deck lifestyle? Pr- pretty much. Pretty much. It's, it's the same. It was a similar, very similar lifestyle. Um, the boat that I worked on, the yacht that I worked on, it was only male crew, okay. females. Um, to stop the hanky-panky, although that can still happen if you're that way inclined. Oh, look, <laughs> if you're that way inclined, I'm sure it still happens. Yeah. But no, that was that was one of the reasons. Okay. Yeah, that was one of the reasons. But this boat was, it wasn't a boat, it was a ship. This ship was designed like James Bond's, you know, if James Bond had a ship, this is what he'd have because... There were so many other boats on the side of it, like, and we're all talking fast boats, you know, a million dollars plus for wow. all the, the smaller boats. There were six jet skis, just cranes and toys, and this thing was designed to go to Antarctica. So, so then we got to the Mediterranean, um, and the ship's now in the Mediterranean, and we're doing, like, all the celebrities. You, you name the celebrity. We're there for the Monaco Grand Prix. We're there for um in the Cannes Film Festival, a lot of like big, big events. Um, you know, with the yacht picking up all these people here, there and everywhere. Mm. Some people, it's not until they've got off, you're like, oh, that was who? Oh, really? Oh wow. Okay, cool. Awesome. Amazing. Um Is it interesting so- working with that kind of I guess level of prestige or wealth or fame? I kind of have this assumption that everyone is just, I mean, we're all humans and we all have shit going on. We all have, you know, some more than others. But do you have the realisation that, you know, these are just human beings or do you, are there moments where you're like, oh, Jesus, (laughs) that's a bit much? No, you kind of know, it's kind of both of those moments. Mm. You're like, okay, that's a little unrealistic. and That seems unnecessary. Yeah, look, 90, 98% of the time, the, the people that I'd worked for, you know, in, in this high net wealth kind of environment mm. were the most humble people I've ever met, the most respectful people I've ever met. And you, the tabloids can say what the tabloids want to say. We all know the tabloids will just do whatever they write want. Write what they want to write. Exactly. But everybody that I sort of interacted with were really down to earth. Um, and, and that was probably the greatest thing because, you know, and, and a lot of that came from asking the question, how did you get onto the yacht? It kind of helps when you say, you know, I was a Commonwealth and world champion gold medalist swimmer. Mm. Um, that's a good way to start off because then you're already on their level playing ground. It's like, yeah. oh, wow, this is like a one but, but how did you end up here? You know, yeah. um, and you kind of tell them the journey and you're like, wow, that's fascinating. So these people that you see, they, they, these celebrities, if you want to call them, you're seeing them at a level where they're actually just human. Mm. 
it was a fascinating kind of world. But you know what it kind of opened up for me, though? Um, I'm doing these amazing, incredible things. I'm dry- I am the professional boat driver yeah. now, by the way, because I was the second tender driver. So looking after these expensive boats and tender for those people is the smaller boats that go from the bigger boat. But um, I, I actually found the dark side again. And I know we haven't touched on this yet mm. because I didn't want to bring it up as you know too early in, but I found the dark side. Mm. I was living these amazing experiences but I was in a really, really dark place. That was exactly Go. what my question was going to be because, it, you know, on – I mean, and this is the the thing that a lot of people make judgments about other people's lives, you know, from the outside – your life is amazing. You're getting to travel around the world. You're going to beautiful places, working with amazing people, high net worth individuals. You've had all of these amazing experiences in the lead up before that. But then, you know, at the start of the conversation, you know, we talked about how you hadn't processed a lot of your experiences from swimming. So I, I wondered if there was a moment for you where you realized that you weren't okay these demons came back mm. and they came back hard. They came back. They'd always been there. They'd always been there for like, you know, fleeting moments here and there in, in the kind of years after the sport. And I, I say it now to a lot of the clients that I work with, I understand why us swimmers have so many issues. The reason why, and, and this is not generalizing it. This is this is my own personal opinion, my own personal experience. But I know so many of us that have gone through these these trials and tribulations, and a lot of it is because the demons that we deal with, we're so much in our head. Mm. When we're in the water, because of that place that I called Zen earlier on in the podcast, mm. because of that place of Zen, we are so far into our heads that we're thinking about where our stroke is, what does it feel like, where's our hand, what does this do, what does that do, is this time quick enough, is the coach going to be happy with me, what do I have to do later on today, I have to get to the gym and do this, but you still have to be present. We can't be present because our minds are everywhere. Mm. And then you throw in the world of hurt. Mm. Now, look, I might open a can of worms with this one, but I had a revelation not long ago that swimming – was my way of self-harm. Wow. Interesting. So th- this is this is quite deep and, you know, I get emotional by this, but I'm happy to open up and talk about this because this was my way of dealing with it. Mm. When I retired from the sport, I didn't have any way. Not that I've done that. Mm. And, you know, if you are, please seek help. Mm. But, yeah, that was kind of a way of suppressing those emotions. Wow. suppressing that pain, suppressing that that I could not understand. Mm. That, that was a determination as well to actually beat yourself. Um, but I remember I was watching a documentary just the other night about the human body and the extremes and there was a lady that's got one leg and she was... Human um, playground. I've been watching this. Everybody good, so you know what I'm talking about Everybody then. needs to go um, watch it. It's on Netflix. Go watch it. Human playground. Uh, incredible. The, the lady with the one leg that's walking through the desert Unbelievable. has the cramps. I had that scenario in a 10 by 400 meter set wow. and we were, I was third one in and I was, you know, trying to keep up with Thorpe's time because, you know, we were Doug Frost back in that time, old school, very hard, loved yes. coaching. Um, but that's how we were drilled. We were drilled like, you know, soldiers in a way, mm. double leg cramp. I never cried in my life. I cried like a baby then mm. and Doug just yelled at me <laughs> and I had to start again. Mm. 
Mm. I was three one a three four hundreds in, so one point two kilometers into that set, and I had to start, start again, again uh, and had to go longer than everyone else. And, and I, I didn't really connect that that pain that I was putting myself. Yes, it was getting my the, the best out of my body, but at the mm. same time, it was suppressing so many emotions. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to reflect on that because that, that's conversations that I've had with a number of athletes and, you know, things that I've thought about myself. Like I, I actually, I miss that. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Because it, yeah. it is like, I, I totally understand what you're saying because it is, it's absolutely harming yourself in the pursuit of something, but it's also it's- distracting yourself potentially from processing things that might have gone on in your life in different ways and in different capacities and and you know it's a very intense form of distraction you know like nowadays I might doom scroll for a couple of hours (laughs) yeah 100% I I did that just the other day I've got to do stuff but what am I doing I'm doom scrolling I'm procrastination scrolling (laughs) correct I like doom scrolling let's call it that (laughs) exactly (laughs) it doesn't make you feel better does it It makes you feel oh no at the end of it you're like what have I just done yes uh at least you know probably that's a good way of doing it rather than you know going another way at the moment but Mm. yeah it's distracting the mind from from what you need to be doing but it's it's interesting that you refer to it as as a form of self-harm that that fascinates me because I I can see that like I can definitely connect to it but also I know from my experience I miss that as well in a really perverse way (laughs) no I I do I I I do genuinely miss that but to get myself motivated enough to do that now oh that's a massive yeah massive effort so how did you get through that moment like you talked about going into that dark place like how do you move through that? I I had to actually have an honest chat with myself. It can only come from you. Mm. Other people can identify it. And, you know, I had um, other crew members identifying things where I was sort of shutting down. I was pushing myself. I was going back into that self of pushing myself. Mm. You know, I'd have like four or five hours sleep, get up, back, be back on the deck and start washing the boat or, you know, doing stuff to distract, you know, Going above and beyond because that's the work ethic that was drilled into us. I'm I'm interested because I think this is a really important part of the conversation around mental illness. What were your signs and symptoms? Obviously, workaholism is a, a massive factor for a lot of people nowadays. Was that the kind of only sign that something was not quite right? No. Genuinely unhappy. Um, where you're spending your time doing something incredible in an amazing place, but mm. you're unhappy. Mm. How does that work? Mm. You know, you, you're, you're sailing through the south of France, um, some incredible places, but you're generally taking that moment, but that moment only lasts for a moment, and then you're just back into this feeling of not happy. Mm. You know, and, and you talk to people, confide in a few crew members that were going through similar things. Um, a lot of the guys were a lot younger and then the older guys were kind of management. So, you, you know, senior staff. So you don't want to go too much opening up to them a little bit. Mm. But at the same time, you have to. Mm. So, you know, you're trying to pick moments in the day where you're like, I'm going to look out here and I'm going to appreciate this. And that's where I started kind of soul searching a little bit. And I, I met an amazing masseuse on the yacht that would fly from the Caribbean to come across and, and, and work with us. And she started opening my eye up 
to learning about myself, mm. um, understanding who I am as a person. And we'd just sit and have chats. You know, I'd get in trouble because I'd be sitting chatting to her and not working. But yeah, we just started to, she started to open my eyes to the world a little bit more. And then from there, I, that, that was kind of the catalyst to start my journey. Mm. And I think a lot of it too, because I was back on the water, I was in my happy place. Mm. So it was sort of suppressed a little bit. But, the, you know, the, the raw emotion of feeling uncomfortable and feeling unhappy all the time, it was there. Wake up unhappy. Mm. It was there. It was those same feelings that I sort of had when I, you know, retired from the sport, getting up every morning harder and harder and harder, where the simplest of tasks just become really hard. With, with that journey, kind of how did you then come to be doing what you're doing now, which, you know, for people who, who don't know, tell us about what Swimly is and what you're hoping to kind of achieve with your business now. So Swimly... Um, Swimly is swimming with a difference. Mm. And, and the difference is I'm connecting with people who have some level of aquaphobia, which is a fear of water. And then from there, we're doing kind of uh, immersive sessions in the water, which is a, a blend of learn to swim principles, being in the water, but also life coaching. Mm. So it's a very different. And the end goal is obviously to have people swimming. But for some of my clients, and you know, it's actually 12 months today I've had this business. Um, over 50 clients. Thank you. Like it's it's huge. It's massive for me. Massive. But it's 50 clients now, you know, um, that I've helped go on this journey. And, and we're not just talking people that, you know, the idea of just throw them in the water, they're fine. We're talking about people who have come from either near drowning mm. or drowning experiences. Um, have been revived, resuscitated, that sort of stuff. Or we're talking about people who have witnessed family members because it's not just when it happens to them, it's witnessing as well. A lot of it's social conditioning, so parents' upbringing. You know, when your parents says, don't go in the water because you'll drown. Mm. A lot of that just plays on the mind. And, you know, it's it's one of the, the greatest things that I've done. Mm. It's, it is in genuinely one of the greatest things I've done. Yes, it's hard sometimes getting in the pool again. I'm not going to lie. You know, I'm in there about 25 to 30 hours a week at the moment. Mm. But once I'm in there, once I start connecting with the clients, once I start working with the clients, it's truly amazing. And a lot of this is very intuitive. Mm. I don't go in and plan a session with my clients. You know, um, like a typical learn swim program would have, you know, especially for kids, we're going to do this, 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 this. I can't do that because I'll jump in with one of my clients and they could be having a really bad day. Then all of a sudden, bang, we have to go back to the drawing board and start again. We might take a few steps forward, 20 steps back, and then I build them back up again. Isn't it beautiful how, like, I can see from your explanations of the things that you've done in your life post-swimming and, you know, obviously including swimming as well, how it's led to this? Like you just talk about having to respond rather than react and, you know, having to manage a, 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 you know, a big sign in gale force winds and having to respond and adapt and move and yeah. rethink. And like you can just see all of these things, all the threads that all have threads. kind of come into your life in different ways to create this incredible thing that is impacting people who had, have had experienced and potentially very traumatic experience and you're helping them through that with those your experiences 
Correct. I, I call it my slumdog millionaire mm. life because we didn't even touch. We kind of skipped a little bit. I I spent six months working with Mariah Carey. Oh, wow. Which, which was truly incredible. So she was somebody to idolize when I was growing up. I love that you just uh, dropped you that did. in at the end. Is like, by the way. <laughs> well, we kind of went straight into the, the what I'm doing now. Sorry. Kind of missed, my yeah. bad. No, <laughs> Please I tell know, me about Mariah. <laughs> um. So, you know, obviously there, there was things. So if you Google jet ski guy Mariah, um, that explains a lot. Is that you? Um, <laughs> Immediately goes and Googles. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's me. So that was my, that was my, that, that was me actually protecting her from paparazzi that day wow. um, when that all happened. But I actually had a moment to talk with her. And, and then when you talk about are these people real? genuinely real i i you know yes she's the diva yes she's whatever she needs to be at the point in time but she as a person is somebody that i was actually blown away with when i met because i thought i'm not going to get anywhere Mm. but so much respect for her so much respect for a person that's working so hard and a person that can still sing like I, i witnessed her singing you know around the house um in the, the properties that we're at um i witnessed her at concerts mm. uh and I, I was just blown away like mm. with how truly incredible she is but at that point it, that's when it started for me to realize that i don't want to be rich or famous mm. i want to be influential so i want to have like a, a name sort of a presence so that i can really impact, impact people in a yeah. positive yeah if you have like a presence, you can kind of go somewhere like, you know, yourself, you, you, you can go in, you can do things, you can open doors, so to speak, because of who you are. Mm. And I want to be able to have that same ability to open doors to help people mm. because that's what I've done my whole life. I've helped people. I helped three other guys get a gold medal at a real team. I helped people, you know, make and look and feel of an event. I helped billionaires make their life really easy. And now I'm helping people of the general public do things that they never, ever dreamed that they thought that they would. Mm. And that, for me, is truly magic. Yeah. That's magic. I, I, I always ask, what is the moment? Because, I mean, obviously the, the Commonwealth Games gold medal and, you know, winning and, and being part of those teams are, are magic moments for you. They would be for anybody, but... There's always, well, for me, there's always those kind of really quiet moments in your career, your, your, your athletic career that you're just so proud of that almost nobody else would necessarily know about. Is there, is there a moment for you that kind of springs to mind? I think the proudest moment that I have is as I'm now older, realising the people that I met the people that I've interacted with, the connections that I've made with people. You know, like I grew up training with Ron McKeon. He was my coach, Mm. um, you know, from my teenage years. I used to babysit Emma and David McKeon. Amazing. So, you know, who would have thought now, you know, she's, you know, the goat. She's our greatest of all time. (laughs) It's like when when I heard goat, I'm like, what? But (laughs) you know what? It's. Yeah, what does that mean? Um, I, I'm amazed, truly, like, the connections that I've had and all of these people that have had an influence on my life in some way, shape, or form created a little jigsaw puzzle piece that have created the person who I am today. Mm. 
that's probably the proudest moment when I can sit back and reflect on that. There's no real, because the swimming in a way is a bit of a blur. Mm. Each of my things, and I'm actually writing a book as we speak about each of my little, and I call them chapters. Yeah. Swimming is a big chapter, Mm. but everything else was another chapter in that. And when the chapter closed, another seed was watered, planted, little seedling came out and moved on to the next thing. And all of those became my Slumdog Millionaire kind of story. So that's probably what I'm proud of is the fact that I can look back on my life now and go, wow, with all these people that have influenced me, but I've also influenced as well. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And in terms of like, because I want people to be able to take things away from this podcast, you know, I think it's amazing to be able to see someone's experience, maybe feel heard or seen or resonate with things that um, others might be experiencing. But what would you, what would your advice be to an athlete who, you know, maybe they're right at the beginning of the career and they're like, oh, maybe I should start planning for retirement or maybe they're right at the end and thinking about it's time to kind of move on. What's your advice to, to someone in that position? My advice, and this is what I'm quite passionate about, is that life is full of opportunities. Mm. You never know what is going to be around the door. And you just have to have your eyes open. And if something feels right, you do it. Mm. Even if it turns out to be something that's not right, you're going to learn something. I I left my last position realizing what my self-worth was. Mm. And that was actually giving to people. It's not a financial thing. Mm. The money is a byproduct of what I do right now. And I live in Sydney. It's expensive. We all get that. Interest rates going up. World's about to fall apart. But what I do. (laughs) Shit's getting real. (laughs) Yeah, shit's getting real. What gets me up every morning is the fact that I have somebody in the water. And, you know, it's fear of water sessions, overcoming fear of water. It's stroke correction sessions. It's passing my knowledge on that I have to make somebody's life a little bit easier in the water, in a place that you and I both know Mm. we love. Mm. It's our happy place. If we're having the shittiest day, we go in the water. Ah, that's okay. Yeah, it's gone, and we. I want to pass that on to other people. Mm. So the fear of water guys, the, the stroke correction guys I work with, the beginner swimmer guys that I work with, all of those, I want to pass on that feeling that we sort of feel, mm. and that's being so effortless. For those guys that are, you know, at the end of the career, it hasn't worked out for them. One door closes, another door opens. Mm. Oh, Jason, like you've just, you've just obviously taken every opportunity by the throat and just absolutely run with everything towards yeah. those things. It's it's really remarkable the kind of life that you've lived and that you've come back to your happy place, not only in the water but with helping people in a really beautiful and tangible way. Like you're positively impacting their lives for the better. And I think that, you know, you should be incredibly proud of the work that you're doing and continue to do. And I will be one of the first to sign up and – buy your book and <laughs> I can't wait to see <laughs> what you continue to do in, in this space. And thank you so much for your time, Jason. It's just been unbelievable. And it was a privilege to, to swim with you on the Australian team and it's been an absolute Absolutely. privilege to chat to you today. No, look, I, I love catching up with you. Anytime I see you, um, it's always so bubbly and, and you're so open, you're so real. And that's what I love. And, you know, I take inspiration from that as well to be the genuine version of myself. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I didn't pay him to say that, everybody. <laughs> I appreciate you. Was it 20? Yeah. Was it 20 or 10? I can't remember. 
That was such a great conversation um, with my old teammate, Jason. He, I just, I think I really resonated with the idea around you need to take a lot of opportunities. I mean, this is this is for everyone, but definitely for athletes who may not know what they want to do in life after sport because for me in that transition part of how I have come to do what I do is because I worked out what I didn't want to do (laughs) and that sounds terrible but you do need to have you need to go and do the thing that you think you might want to do and work out what parts of that is it that I love and obviously for Jason that was you know helping people helping people in all the different ways that his jobs um, kind of afforded him and and then you can work out what parts you don't like and then work towards creating something or finding a job that sits well in, in what you're trying to achieve. But I just, you know, I'm so grateful for, for Jason to be able to share, you know, so candidly his experiences and his his darkness. As always, if this has brought anything up for you, make sure you contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Um, there really is no shame in asking for help or, or recognising that you're in a dark place. So, uh, as always, if you can, like, subscribe, rate, share, review at All That Glitters Pod if you have any ideas about people you'd like me to interview. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening. I'm so grateful um, always for the feedback that I get of people listening. It's always so exciting to hear that people listen. Uh, if you like All That Glitters and you kind of like the vibe, uh, make sure you jump over to The Sports Social. It is my brand new podcast, which I get to do with my super talented sister-in-law, Georgie. Uh, we talk about the joy, humanity and heartbreak in this past week of sport. We do not profess to be professionals in any sense of the word, but we love sport and all that it entails. So come have some fun, enjoy the show and subscribe. Sports Social. Have a lovely week and I will chat to you soon.